Good morning and blessed Good Friday. Today is April 7th, 2023, and you're listening to a special free text First Friday episode of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning, we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. On the first Friday of every month, we take a break from whatever book we're studying to cover a topic of interest from a scriptural point of view. Today just happens to be Good Friday, so what better time could there be than to focus on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's passion, in particular, His last words from the cross. But before we get into our topic, I want to remind you that Thy Strong Word is sponsored in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. They assist congregations and missionaries in sharing the good news of Jesus through Lutheran materials translated into foreign languages. Visit lhfmissions.org to learn more and discover how you can support them in spreading the gospel and how they can help you. Explore their range of offerings. That's at lhfmissions.org. Today's episode is not only special because of the topic and the fact that it's Good Friday, but because I'm joined in person by two faithful pastors who just happen to serve in the same circuit as I do. First, we have the Reverend Christopher Amon, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Pipestone, Minnesota, and also the Reverend Jesse Baker, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Hardwick, Minnesota. Brothers, welcome to Thy Strong Word. How has the Lenten tide season been treating you? We're right here at the very end of it. Lent's been great going through. We've been going through God's promised treasures from Concordia Publishing House and okay, seeing sure. how God physically and tangibly comes to us through different elements and through his word. That's the uh, Reverend Christopher Amon speaking. What about you, uh, uh, Pastor Baker? How have things been going for you lately? It's been really good. Uh, I decided to have a baby in the middle of Lent because that's always smart. Now, did and... you do all the work on that or maybe your <laughs> wife helped? <laughs> she helps a lot. <laughs> but we've been going through readings not normally found in the three-year lectionary. So okay. just looking at different texts that aren't typically part of our lives. Okay, yeah. Sunday. Well, that's good. Yeah, there's been a lot of good resources out there, a lot of good texts. There's always something to be done during Lent. And one of those things that often comes up is going to be the subject of our conversation today, and that is the so-called seven last words of Christ. Of course, it's more than just seven literal words. It's more like the seven sayings of Christ at the end, and, and that's what we'll be uh, going through. Um, you know, first time having a couple different guests on, so we're just going to do our best. Uh, hopefully you'll remember who's who as we go through it. But without any further ado, one of you should start us off with prayer. And I don't care who, whichever one you want. You can, you can uh, rock, paper, scissors for it. <laughs> All right. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for sending your Son that he came to fulfill the law on our behalf most especially that he takes all of our sins and burdens to the cross. As we observe this day, we also, Lord, give thanks that through it we are forgiven by his precious blood and look forward forward to that glorious resurrection we have with you and him in your eternal kingdom. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. So here we are at Good Friday, and uh, just so that there's no pretension about it, we are pre-recording. Holy Week is a very busy time for pastors. Of course, we have um, Palm Sunday and Monday, Thursday, uh, Good Friday. Tomorrow, I will be having a Holy Saturday service, a vigil, and then, of course, there's Easter Sunday, which often is a couple different services, depending on where you're at. Um, what's your Holy Week like? Do you uh, do you do Holy Saturday? Do you do anything else special, different? Uh, talking to Pastor Amon first. 
Yeah, so at St. Paul, we um, we do a series of devotional activity uh, online. It's available each day um, for Holy Week. Uh, then we have Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then we have two different services, uh, Sunrise Service, which um, is a condensed version of the Easter Vigil uh, that we do, and then our festival service, and of course, breakfast with the youth and all of those festivities and fellowship time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the breakfast. We haven't done it uh, in a while. I think COVID stopped it for a while, but we're starting it back up this year. Uh, Pastor Baker, what about you? How does Holy Week look there at Zion? Uh, pretty typical. Got Monday, Thursday service at 7, uh, Good Friday at 7.30. Helps set the mood a little more, being darker. Yeah. And then uh, no Easter vigil this year. Maybe something I kind of want to look into doing later. And then uh, Easter sunrise at 7.30, and then mm. breakfast afterwards. Now, I don't know what your attendance is like. I'm sure it's as faithful as it could be. The Easter sunrise service, which we do here too, I started Holy Saturday a couple years ago when I came to this uh, church, and it's been well-received. It's always smaller. It's at night, you know, but we begin outside with a bonfire, which is kind of touch and go here in Minnesota. You don't know if you'll be having a fire in the snow or what. Uh, This year, I think we will be. Uh, But, you know, sometimes uh, people will replace uh, Holy Saturday with the Easter Vigil. Uh, But I didn't replace... I didn't replace it the other way around by when I brought back Holy Saturday, I didn't take away the Easter sunrise. Um, so that's why you were saying that sometimes you do basically the Easter vigil, but on the sunrise service, which I think is a good way to do it. We just do the same service on Easter. Um, but it is a wonderful time because the churches are generally full, kind of like at Christmas. But it's also a little bit of a frustration, I think, for pastors because, well, wouldn't it be nice if the churches were full all the time? And, and people are coming and being drawn to the church And I always wonder, and I don't know what you think, but is it the gospel that draws them, right? All the beautiful message of of Christ resurrecting from the dead after having suffered for our sins? Or is it the law that draws them? Well, I got to go once or twice a year, and here's my time to go, or grandma's going to be mad if I don't go. Maybe I'm just being too cynical. But but what do you think? I mean, I'm just glad they're there. But you have to admit it can be a little frustrating to see the church just full on Sundays, uh, on Easter Sunday. Yeah, I rejoice that they're there, of course, and right. especially to hear that good news of the resurrection. Uh, part of me thinks, boy, if you guys were here today, Good Friday, mm. really how impactful this would be. And I think it would help lead and expand as we live through that in our daily life. You know, there is something too, I think, living through Palm Sunday, yes. Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and actually experiencing those worship services. Uh, together, and then leading into that Easter joy, and boy, that it would be great if that just slingshotted into daily life, which would then, of course, would encourage and, in, and include uh, better faithful attendance, more regular attendance uh, every little Easter, every mm-hmm. Sunday. To borrow a phrase, it really is a journey to the cross that I wish people would take. Uh, what do you think, Pastor Baker? I mean, it seems like Palm Sunday has been usurped liturgically by Passion Sunday, and I know that there's more to it than this, but it seems to me that's about the fact that, well, people aren't going to come for Holy Week, so we're going to cram in the Passion on Sunday. I mean, maybe I'm mischaracterizing it, but that that appears to be what's going on. I mean, how do you see all this? I I agree. I think that's exactly what it is. It's like, well, they're not going to come anyways, which is kind of ridiculous thought to begin with, so we're just going to skip the triumphal entry or move it to Advent, which is typically done now, and we'll just do the death, and the Sunday before is kind of 
silly because you're like Pastor Chris was saying, or Pastor Eamon was saying, you're kind of missing the whole point. You yeah, can't right. Just, I, I've never really gotten, well, we just come on Easter and Christmas. It's like, well, you're missing everything. Right. Like, you, you don't get Easter without, you know, the rest of the church here, especially, obviously, Good Friday. Like, why are you coming on Easter if you didn't actually hear why he's dead? The resurrection doesn't mean much without Good Friday. Well, it really doesn't. You're shortchanging yourself. And, and I do want to get into our topic today, but the one last thing I want to talk about is it, it also seems that when people come just on Christmas and Easter, they'll come at a service that sometimes is an hour, 15, hour and a half long. And I think sometimes they think, oh, I couldn't do this every week. Well, trust us, pastors can't do that every week either. Uh, those are usually pretty special high feasts of the church. Um, but, you know, 50 minutes, an hour on Sunday weekly is, is sort of the, the least of what we can do to receive God's gifts. Um, but looking at our texts for today, it looks they, they come from um, all of the Gospels, well, except Mark, <laughs> so most of the Gospels. Uh, but we're going to start with uh, what is titled here, The Word of Pardon. Folks, this is going to be Luke 23, verses 33 and 34 from the ESV. And when they came to the place that is called the Skull, there they crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then they cast lots to divide his garments. Pastor Amon, um, just looking at that first text, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Paint the scene for us. What, what's going on, and, and why is Jesus, I guess, saying these things? Yeah, so, of course, there's so much richness and uh, depth to Good Friday here and, you know, part of breaking these words down as it is uh, is so that we can get through them uh, here today in a timely manner. But, yeah, the picture is you have Jesus has been on trial. Soldiers have uh, not so kindly escorted him as his cross is carried, uh, and he's been beaten, and he's been lifted up, nailed there, and they've been ridiculing him, and he's been hanging there, and even the criminals on his side, uh, one ridiculing him. And and all of them are then ask, you know, asking uh, all these questions, some of which we'll still get to, and there's more to come. And, and he just says, Father, forgive them. They're murdering, and but they don't even realize what it is they're doing. They're participating in salvation history but in part because they've rejected him as the Christ, the Messiah. What do you see going on here, Pastor Baker? It kind of always strikes me that the first words out of his mouth, I mean, what, his back split open, it's rubbing up and down on this wooden beam that is not smooth, and the first words out of his mouth are, forgive them. Yeah. It's just, it shows you such a perfect picture, picture of who Jesus is and why he came. Because if that was me... That would not be what probably <laughs> coming out of my mouth. Let's be real. Like, it, it's just, it's utterly incredible. And, like, they're they're killing God. Yeah. And that's the thing that always strikes me. And right away, Jesus is like, hey, forgive them, Father. For they have no idea what they're doing. I mean, and, just the day before, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. There is a humanity of Jesus that says, 
I, I, this is not going to be good. It's not going to be pleasant. It's going to be wicked. Except he says, of course, not my will, but your will. The Father's will is that he does this. And, of course, he's willing to submit to the Father's will, having the same will as Father, being God himself, of course. But you're so right. I mean, who could... I mean, history would blame him, but who could blame him from a purely human standpoint if he were up there and said, you know, forget this. This, I mean, people at home, you have to understand that crucifixion, we have so domesticated the concept where we're wearing crosses around our necks and earrings and we have them all over our churches and our homes. And it, But this is probably one of the most heinous ways that has ever been devised to take someone's life for punishment. Uh, because one, not to be too graphic here, of course, on the radio, but one dies really by by suffocation and drowning as they struggle to keep them their their lungs inflated as water goes around their heart. So it's such a horrible situation. And as the pastors say here, here he is suffering this, and his thoughts are, forgive them? And, and then Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And, and we're like, so we're supposed to, in the midst of the evil things that the world does to us, especially when they do it to us because we're Christians, we're just supposed to ask God to forgive them? Oh, that's tough. You're right. That's tough. I think, too, we see Jesus really living through what it is he came to do and first off pronouncing what his cross does, which is win forgiveness. And as we go through these texts, too, just how how much of our daily life we actually go through uh, some similar things mm. and yet and how Jesus fulfills all of these things and that first thought forgive them and so in Jesus has repeatedly gone through this kind of thought before you know with if you're persecuted rejoice mm. turning the other cheek uh, and you know oftentimes focusing on forgive first love forgive show grace and this is what he came and is accomplishing and doing. I want to point out one more thing that he says. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So we focus so far on the forgiveness part, which makes sense. It's Jesus. But why does he say they don't know what they do? I mean, they know that they're crucifying a guy. Is this just because more narrowly that it's like you know joe centurion he's just got his orders from Pilate, and this is one guy out of many or is this more broad they being all those who have uh, conspired to kill him really don't know what they're doing uh, how do you read that or maybe it's both and i don't know how do you see that uh pastor baker what do you think i generally go more with the centurions on that because clearly the priests that want to kill him have a pretty good idea what they're up to. And you can, you see even that after the resurrection too. I mean, well, the disciples clearly, they took the body, right? Well, just go tell people that. Right. I mean, they, they're doing everything they can to be God in their own eyes and make sure Jesus isn't actually God. I mean, we do have the one centurion who's like, oh, wow. You know, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, for a lot of these guys, they're just, man, they're just doing their eight and hitting the gate. And I think we forget that. Because we, we think of everybody being intimately involved with Jesus' death, and he's the Son of God, and here's God being crucified for us. But if you think of everybody on the planet, then the people are just going about their daily lives. And then even the guys are kind of nailing to the cross. We, we attribute to them a lot of cruelty. But really, and I'm not letting them off the hook, but really they're just doing their job. 
and they're going to do somebody else the same way the next day or maybe 10 more people that day. And for them, it's just a, a Friday. <laughs> but for, for, for those who know, it's significant. Pastor Omen. I've wondered before yeah. if even some of the some of the centurions, do they even realize what part of history they're playing a part of? Do they even know who this Jesus guy is? I, we hear how famous he was and there's crowds following him. But, you know, that doesn't mean everyone right. knows you know, about him, and especially non-Jews who have no context. They're not part of all of these towns and villages and part of this religious uproar uh, that's been going on for three years because ain't my game. Yeah. And how many things happen in our towns? Everyone seems to know about it except me. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think of back to the garden again. Why does A, Judas have to kiss the guy, right? Why does he have to kiss Jesus? Well, so he can signal who the, who the guy is they're looking for. So you have a whole band of soldiers, some of them from the Romans, some of them from the temple, and they're just like, uh, is there a Jesus here? But you, but you think, well, doesn't everybody know Jesus? We, we do. We take our relationship with God and our understanding for granted. So I, I agree with both of you. It sounds like you're saying kind of the way I see it, and that is these particular people who are literally um, uh, flipping the switch— you know, pushing the ejection in, nailing the nails, they don't know what they're doing. And, you know, it, I, I, he, he says similarly to Pilate in terms of the authority coming from above him. But then they cast lots to divide his garments, which, of course, fulfills Scripture. But at the same time, it's kind of a practical thing. He's not going to need them anymore. Um, and it's, it's not in the sense of, like the the legend of Veronica who wipes his face and now she's got this veil. I think that's her name, Veronica. I'd have to ask my Roman Catholic friends. But but it's not like they're saying, oh, hey, let's have this piece of this famous guy. They're just like, hey, that's a pretty good piece of cloth. I don't want to mess that up. I don't know. But why don't we move on? Because then what happens next is another, uh, the next rather, word of Jesus from the cross. So this is a word of promise. Luke chapter 23, verses 39 to 42. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That being the words of Jesus there uh, with 43. So, so we have here Jesus saying, today you'll be with me in paradise. But before we dive into Jesus' actual words, again, setting the scene, it's like, I, I guess this is mocking. I, I think this is how we would describe it. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. He's, he's not really saying, Pastor Baker, at least I don't see it this way, I believe that you're the Christ, now save us. I think he's more just like, he's heard of this Jesus. He's probably heard the crowds that are around him now. I don't know. Baker, how do you see it? It's kind of probably both, honestly. It's like it's that last-ditch effort. Like, hey, if you really are the Messiah, okay. the guy who's supposed to kick out the Romans, you're doing a pretty lousy job of it. <laughs> right. If you're going to start, now would be a great time for me. Like, get down from this cross, take me with you, and let's, like, save me. It's completely just your general self-centeredness, which you can't blame the guy. Hey, you know, we just talked about how Jesus 
according to his divine and merciful nature, is forgiving people on the cross and how unusual that is. So for the guy next to him, who's just a regular old criminal, acting like a criminal, acting like a human, I mean, certainly we can blame him, but that blame is on our shoulders too because he's really acting in a very human way. Pastor Amen, what do you think? Yeah, I see it the same as you guys there. And as he's sitting there, uh, it's not just save yourself, and, but it's save yourself and us. Like, don't forget us since right. we're here. You know, and and part of it, too, goes back to this word of forgiveness. You know, it's a word that means to be released, uh, to be let go. And so, you know, well, if you're all about forgiving Jesus, uh, you want to start with forgiving my crime and releasing me from this punishment right now? That'd be great. Well, the other criminal, the, uh, the I guess, uh, how do we describe him? Do we call him the, uh, the repentant thief or something like that? But he seems to have the wherewithal to say quite the, a bit of words. So we read it right from Luke. I imagine this is probably words he managed to say over the course of several painful minutes. Um, but basically he tells him, do you, don't you fear God? You are being punished just like this Jesus guy am, just like I am, but we are the only ones who actually deserve it. So this guy knows Jesus is innocent, but more than that, believes in him. Because when he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, I wonder if he knows. Jesus obviously says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's sort of the kicker. But when he says, Jesus, remember me, I see that a lot more humble than I want to go to paradise with you. I see it more as, I don't know how I see it. You know, I just, I just don't see it as him saying, because the other guy says, save us. This guy, I don't think is saying, save me. I think he's just basically pleading for mercy. I don't know. What do you guys think? I'm not even sure he's entirely aware of maybe what he's asking or even sure of what he's asking. As you, I like how you said, plead for mercy. Mm-hmm. Lord, remember me. Think of me. I don't really know what it is I need. I don't really know what I'm asking, but I'm asking whatever it is you're gracious enough to provide, I will gladly accept. And part of that, I think, here even, is a willingness to accept and receive the punishment of judgment that he deserves. If that's what it is, then I will take it, Lord. I deserve that. And I think there's a nice part of our confession and sins. We acknowledge this is what we deserve. And if, if that's what we receive, so be it. But then Jesus gives him that absolution, so to speak, right away. Nope, you are not going to get that which you deserve, which is why he's hanging there, so that we don't get what we deserve. We get that promise of paradise. But I think there's just a little bit of uncertainty. He doesn't know what exactly he's asking, but willing to receive whatever it is Jesus has to offer. Previously, the rulers had also mocked Jesus um, in, in a section that we didn't read, uh, saying, you know, he saved others, let him save himself, and that, that other thief joins in on that mockery. But this one who just says, and I like what you put, right? He admits what he deserves. 
that's something that I think is really difficult, even for the most faithful Christian, because we say, you know, if God were to decide that you should go to hell forever and eternity, then he's God. I mean, you have to accept that. Thank God that we have a Savior who redeems us from hell, but would you put your faith, hope, and trust in God if he just gave you what you deserved? And part of faith is saying, that's what I deserve, and he's God. I, I'm, I'm just a creature. And I feel like that's what he's doing. You know, remember me when you come into your kingdom, I think has built into it, and, and there might be people out there that can dig it apart differently than I do, but just on its surface has built into it this idea of, I know I'm not going to be there because I don't deserve it. And Jesus says, no, today you're going to be there, which is beautiful, of course. Uh, but Pastor Baker, I know you're itching to say, um, but but look, he wasn't baptized. Do you want to talk about that at all? <laughs> yeah, and that's why we have the means of grace. There's not one mean to get to Jesus. That's what I think people always get hung up here is. That's why we jokingly have two and a half sacraments, three if you want to be really edgy. I'm a three. I'm an edgy I'm a guy. three kind of guy, Atta too. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's why we have that is it's not right. just baptism. I mean, how many people just come to the church, we can get on this tangent quick, too, expecting, you know, we baptize the baby and, oh, we're good to go. Mm. We're done. We're, like, we, we know that Christ can come the ways God says he will. We've got John the Baptist sleeping in the womb. So we got faith before baptism there, too. So, right. yeah, baptism's the assurance. That's why we get it. But is the guy saved? Well, obviously, Jesus said he was. Right. Right. And and for those who say, well, I don't need to be baptized then. Well, okay, next time you're hanging across next to Jesus, then don't worry about it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I've never gotten that. Like, I know when I'm going to die and how I'm going to die, so I'll just prolong living <sighs> up in sin. It's like, right. no. Like, that. this shows you the exact opposite. You don't know when you're going to go. Like, maybe be real about your sin and be real about who Christ is and live accordingly, because it's far better to live in Christ than it is to be on a cross dying. Yeah. You talk about baptism. I unfortunately have baptismal certificates in my office that are yet to be picked up because they never came back. And, you know, you can see in the heart of this man that he wants to um, accept his punishment. And we don't really get a lot of insight into sort of what happens after Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, maybe the guy died. <laughs> maybe, uh, we, you know, we just don't, we don't have him saying, oh, thank you. But, but what we could imagine is that had this happened in a different situation, he's going to want to then, as others did, follow Jesus, right? Um, how do we make disciples? By baptizing and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And so that, that second part is really important. Uh, we have just a couple of minutes before we come up on the break, so I don't want to go quite yet to the next word, which is a word of love. Um, but just looking at this for one last thing to pull out— um, we have here this whole concept of the thief hanging on the cross. You have the bad thief, the good thief. You have Jesus in the middle. Um, I don't think in my imagination I've ever seen them just the three. I always, just knowing how historically crucifixion worked out, there's probably a lot of other people being crucified. Um, drawing back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, in one of his sermons, Martin Luther talked about uh, he chastised those in his audience who thought that if they were around when Mary and Joseph, Mary pregnant with Jesus, had come into Bethlehem, they would have given them uh, room. Uh, just applying that same logic to this situation, there are probably many people who would look at this situation and say, well, I, I wouldn't have—I I would have believed, or I would have been the good thief. I wouldn't have been the bad thief, or I would have— um, 
it, it kind of brings us back to what Pastor Amon was saying earlier. We don't sometimes don't know what history is taking place while we're in the midst of it. And while our faith comes, of course, from the Scriptures, from faith in Christ, He gives us that faith, um, we are in a time now where most people are ignoring the clear proclamation of God. And here we have the same thing. Most people are ignoring what's going on. Jesus literally dying for the sins of the whole world. Um, Any thoughts on that before we go to break? Pastor Amen. I think Jesus speaks of this uh, in his parables, right? Um, And he talks about when he comes back in judgment and the faithful, well, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and in need? They just reckon, they recognized the things of God and made use of them faithfully. And the others are sitting there, well, Lord, we didn't even see you, or else we would have done it. And I think so much of that, as you said, is true. We, If it doesn't benefit us, we maybe have a, today, we have an, maybe a tendency to say, well, that can't be God's work, or that can't be what God's talking about. And we have this tendency maybe to pick and choose where and how we wish to see God or how we want to see God. And if it's not in that picture or in that way, we dismiss it. We ignore it. And we, and in that way, we then also fail to see Christ in our neighbor, Christ in our lives and how he presents himself. And we forget that God does come to us in many different ways. It's always through his word. Yes. But even in our neighbor, how we entertain angels unaware. And right. We're just unaware of how much God is actually at work in our lives daily. Thoughts, Pastor Baker? Yeah, it goes back to the kind of, they always ask for a sign like, hey, give us another miracle, give mm-hmm. us another miracle. And you got people today like, hey, give us a miracle. It's like, well, I just baptized a baby how long ago? Oh, right, right. I mean, right, how many right. more miracles do we need? They don't. I mean, we could have another feeding of the 4,000, 5,000, and no one's going to believe it. I yep. mean, Jesus is literally walking around in front of their faces, doing forgiving sins and doing all these things. And it's like, ah, nah, I'd rather still be God. The first commandment's about me. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them believe them, right? That's what Jesus says. They wouldn't believe even if a man should rise from the dead. And, of course, he does, and they don't. Folks, don't go anywhere. We're going to continue with a special episode, this Good Friday episode of Thy Strong Word when we come back from these messages. Don't go anywhere. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because Good Lutheran Books for Kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil B. With me today is the Reverend Christopher Amon, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Pipestone, Minnesota. Also with me is the Reverend Jesse Baker, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Hardwick, Minnesota. Before we continue, though, I just want to let you know I hope this Good Friday episode is a blessing to you. 
Just as always, if you have any thoughts or questions or feedback, or you just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Facebook. I'd love to hear from you. Remember that you can tune in to Thy Strong Word on the radio if you're in the St. Louis area. You can hear it live on KFUO.org, or you can listen on demand. It's up just a few hours after every episode. And if you're like me and you're always on the go, don't forget to download the KFUO app. I've told you before, that's what I use in my car. I just hook it up through the, uh, the Android Auto, and it's great. Also, um, you can subscribe to Thy Strong Word on your favorite podcasting platform. Really, there is no excuse not to be able to stay up to date. So I hope you make use of all the great ways that KFUO is bringing you this and other great programs. I'm truly honored to have you join us for our study today. So if you don't mind, can I ask you a favor? Would you share the program with your friends and your family? Let them know about the many ways they can listen in, too. Well, pastors, before the break, we were just uh, just got through two of the seven words of Jesus. Uh, so we're going to move right in to the next one. This is a word of love from John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. All right, here we have the third word of Jesus at the cross. We've left Luke, and now we're in the Gospel of John. And we have here at the cross uh, a, a whole bunch of Marys, right? We have Mary, the Blessed Virgin. We have Mary, the wife of Clopas. We have Mary Magdalene, very common name. But we have these faithful women at the cross. And surprisingly, at least if you saw what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see one of his disciples. And the reason I say it's surprising is because they all ran away. Um, but not this guy, the disciple whom he loved. Pastor Baker, who's that guy? Yeah, this is just John. <laughs> and I, it's you always hear, like, is John trying to be humble or John trying to be cute or whatever? But I don't think so. I think John kind of knew, this is me being me, I think John actually probably was the favorite, in all honesty. Oh, you think so? I actually think so. Now, that is a fresh take, because people will say, well, John is being a braggart here, saying, oh, the disciple whom he loved. And then we counter with, no, he's being humble, using this coded language to because otherwise he'd include his name, and you lean a little bit more towards the, he's like, yeah, I was, I was the one he liked the best. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know why. It just, it seems so weird that John would not name himself so there'd be a reason for it. I think it's kind of John's way of like, hey, I was there. Like, I was, my gospel, I'm writing my gospel for a reason. I'm the last living apostle. Like, it wasn't just, I was one of the apostles. I am almost the apostle. Mm. I'm who okay. else are you going to get a better info on what happens than me? What a take. It, it, it's a hot take. It is. I, I'll say, supporting your take a little bit, I don't. I, I think maybe it's a little in between. You know, there's some humility there in that he doesn't necessarily name himself. As you said, he could. Um, but perhaps when he says the disciple whom he loved, maybe it's not so much I'm the only disciple he loves, which we know is true, is not true. He loves all his disciples and us. But rather, in that moment— it's Jesus loving, and that's the disciple. It's the only one that's there. I don't know. I mean, so you don't necessarily agree with that take. It's, it looks like. What do you I think, like Pastor it, Eamon? But, <laughs> yeah, I generally have gone more with uh, with the humility. I'm digesting that a little bit there, yeah, Pastor too. Baker. But uh, I don't 
I don't vehemently disagree though either. Uh, he's human. It's very he's very human, right? Uh, there is this reality too, as you mentioned. Uh, he's the last living uh, apostle here, and by most accounts, his gospel is written, you know, at well after the others. And this thought not only of, you know, I got to go with Jesus on. You think I mean he's one of the ones who goes with Jesus when it's it's Peter and James and him. Yeah. Uh, he gets to go with him everywhere. I took, you know, there's this moment right here that we're reading. I lived the longest. Yeah, you love, so. Um, yeah, who do you want to give mom to? I can support it in, in one one area. Um, You're not going to give mom to but Peter, But I also, well, well, Peter's in hiding right now. <laughs> yeah, Peter's a little scaredy cat right now. Well, here. let's talk about that. And so why is he giving any, why is he giving mom to anybody? This is part of, I think sometimes we forget Jesus fulfilling the law and how detailed that truly is. So if we can go into thinking about you know, Jesus, he's the oldest son. By most accounts, you know, Joseph died when Jesus was much younger. Mm-hmm. Joseph has not been around since only in the episode of when he was 12 years old and, and you know, uh, in the temple. After that, by all accounts, Joseph is gone, and most historians and traditions hold with that. And I think we forget culturally what's going on here and what the law requires. Here he is, the oldest son, and he has a responsibility to his mother by the law. Right, and he's one who keeps the law. And he's the one who keeps the law. And... It's not as we would think in our culture and way. You know, it doesn't just go well when the oldest son dies, just the next one. All chaos could ensue if both the father and the oldest son go. It doesn't just split as evenly as we would like to think it was. That's not how their law was written. We like to read our context and our our world into everything uh, and assume that's how it's always been. Right. But for them, that wasn't it. And so for Jesus, he has to designate this because Mary can't have her home, can't have her property if Je- when Jesus goes, unless it's designated. And it must be done in a way uh, that one who can lawfully have it. And so here you have John, the disciple, and John's one of the younger ones, right? And I think there's a little bit going to this as well. I think back to tribes of Israel and the youngest one of course Joseph and his sons getting a double portion after um after he had gone to exile and had was in Egypt and all of this is given out but it has to be done here and here the youngest of these disciples the youngest son here is given this double portion so to speak but Jesus fulfilling the law in caring for his mother, fulfilling the law in giving property, uh, giving you know care, and he's ensuring all of these things are done. And to be able to think this through and to be able to have the awareness mm, yeah. of keeping the law in this moment of your hours from death, you're hanging there on a cross dying, suffering, an agony and a pain beyond comparison. And I still fulfill the law 
and, and I, still provide. And I know you would agree it's also not just a mere fulfilling of the law, but he fulfills the law for its purpose, which is out of love for his mother to make sure she's taken care right. of. Right. Now, um, coming to the uh, king of hot takes then, uh, Pastor Baker, what's this have to do with Semper Virgo? What were you trying to mouth to me across the <laughs> word? You're, something yes. about his son's not... Uh, Absolutely nothing. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, we don't have time to get into that anyway, but we do have this idea that he does have at least half-brothers, uh, according to most understandings. Correct. Um, they wouldn't be included. Why? Probably because they weren't believers yet? Part of that could have just been... Um, yeah, you know, if they weren't believing, of course, you know, later James will come around. Right. And we see that. But we did see earlier in the Gospels, uh, they kind of are mocking him. Get, hey, stop preaching. Get back in here. Right. Cut that out. Now, granted, Mary was also had a little bit of struggle in that episode. It's, it was them and his mother calling him back in. Um, but I think there is a little bit of part of that of, well, I'm going to entrust uh, I'm going to give this entrusting to the, the, my faithful one. Right. Which there is also a, a cultural understanding here, too, because what I think is a little ironic is those who are there with Jesus at his moments, besides John, is, of course, Mary, uh, Mary and Mary, <laughs> and also Salome, which we get from Mark. But the point is the women are there and the men are in hiding. Now, practically speaking, the women didn't have as much to worry about from retribution as the men would have. I mean, throwing them a little bit of a bone. Uh, but we see here that the strength of the women in Jesus's life, I think, is just worth pointing out. Um, so now a word of justice. This is going to be from Matthew chapter 27, 45 through 46. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So now we're getting to some pretty powerful words of Jesus. People were standing by. They were saying, oh, this man's calling Elijah. Uh, one of them takes a sponge, and he runs it up with sour wine, puts it on a reed, right, tries to give it to him. Others are saying, no, 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 let's see if Elijah will come and try to save him, and, and then he's going to yield up his spirit. Um Pretty controversial words if we understand them um, quite literally and we take ourselves out of the fact that we've inherited 2,000 years of church history and we look at it from the ground. Jesus says he's the Messiah. He says he's God or he's demonstrated that he's God. And now the Father is departing from him or forsaking him. That's um, That would be really hard for, I think, the disciples to get their minds around if most of them were, had been there. Pastor Baker, how do we understand this? You know, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's that's tough. Yeah. I mean, this is where we have to go back through the whole narrative of the Gospels. Um, think of Matthew, what he got right away, you know, after he's born, he got the baptism. And this is where the baptism's leading. The point of Christ's baptism becoming sin, now it's the moment. He is sin incarnate, literally, at this point. He's dying for the sins of the world, so what does the Father do? All right, time to judge. What does God do when he sees sin to judge? It's not very good outlook for Jesus. Did God die on the cross? Or just Jesus according to his humanity? Yes. <laughs> ah, you Lutherans. <laughs> Lutherans. I think that's such an important thought for us, uh, that it is God himself who dies and Jesus in his humanity. You can't right. divide those things, right? Um, and yet... It's so important in understanding the narrative 
of the Gospels and the narrative of Scripture uh, with this. Uh, you know, there is that little bit of a take that's caused a little bit of stir at times, and, and it should cause a stir of some who've set, taken this a little far and said, here Jesus actually sinned. Oh, yeah. And, and that, of course, yeah, that's a problem, right? Because now then he's not the perfect son of God. Um, he deserves death and hell himself then. Um, and we have to be careful on this. Yes, he becomes sin incarnate, mm-hmm. but he does not commit actual sin himself. Yeah, obviously the sins he's taking are ours, not ones he committed. But if he were just a perfect man, his sacrifice wouldn't be sufficient to cover the sins of all people. Right. Because then he, well, he still would have had that original sin. He would still right. have that which we've inherited since, right? And Right, this is that God himself dies, that God himself gives himself, sacrifices himself. And of course... For most of us, we probably heard these words last night, Monday, Thursday, Mm -hmm. at the end, Uh, whether it was part of the service or whether it was with the stripping of the altar uh, and these words. And what a beautiful reading um, from the Psalms here. I tend to go with the thought that Jesus probably says the whole Psalm here. Um, And if you, as you read that Psalm, you you see how how dramatic that psalm is in a poetic way. Everything that is going on put beautifully. Uh, there. It's one of those psalms where it, for me, if if it obviously my faith is what gives me confidence in the scriptures. But if it, even if it weren't for my faith, that would cause me to step up and say, "Wait a minute, this is describing what's happening to Jesus hundreds of years before it happens." in ways that Jesus could not manipulate if he were a man. He couldn't make these things happen. You know, because a lot of people say, well, and in fact, the Bible sometimes says Jesus does X, Y, and Z to fulfill Scripture. So he does. He literally does something so that it'll fulfill a Scripture. But this is one of those things where, you know, you just have to step back and go, wow, you know. Um, and, and, of course, then him quoting this psalm really drives home the point, even for us dummies, you know, that you don't know what you're doing, but <laughs> wait, wait till your kids hear this because <laughs> right. they're going to put it together. Um, uh, anything else before we move on to the next uh, couple of different words? I'm going to combine them. Um, but anything else before we move on? Pastor Baker, are you ready to go on? All right, here we go. So this is going to be verses 28 through 30 of John chapter 19. All right, so John 19, 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So here we have um, two different things. Now, we're, he gives up his spirit here in John. He actually says one more thing before he does that, according to Luke, and we're going to get to that. But in terms of um, the fifth and sixth words of Jesus, we have, I thirst. And it is finished. Um, back to the I thirst. Um, it says he did this to fulfill Scripture. Does that mean that Jesus wasn't thirsty but had to say, I thirst, so that the Scripture would be fulfilled? Or does it mean 
what sounds more reasonable that he he is according to his human nature thirsty and does it mean more than that okay i think that's enough set up what do you think start with pastor baker i'm not going to take the hot take this time <laughs> okay he's just thirsty. oh he's just thirsty. <laughs> he's just thirsty i mean it's a it's probably a little both really but it's mainly it's thirsty i mean he's up there how many hours has it it's been a couple hours we're talking four or five i think by now right and you I mean you go out in the hot sun for a while up on a pole you're gonna get thirsty yeah no i mean there is a humanity here jesus genuinely suffers, just like we talk about him genuinely being tempted in the desert and genuinely suffering on our behalf. I mean, that's still going on here. Yeah. Well, and Jesus fulfills the scripture by being Jesus. And that's the thing, too. It's John kind of always, I mean, that's more of a Matthew thing, really, Jesus being reduced to one, but that's part of what it is, too. Jesus is ever faithful. Right. I mean, it says to fulfill the scripture. That's in parentheses according to the ESV editors they take it as a very parenthetical text now of course we don't really I don't think we have it in parentheses in the in the or you know the original Greek but basically it's a parenthetical statement not indicating that Jesus is doing something in order to fulfill scripture necessarily but rather that him doing this fulfilled scripture <laughs> I always think of it more as uh, Matthew does this several times throughout the gospel not just on Good Friday and John here too, more of a, hey, pay attention to this right here. This isn't just happening just because. This this is me trying to draw attention to you. Look here, this is done. And really what that ought to do for Matthew, for John, for any preachers who refers back, hey, go read this scripture. It's not just this little sentence. It's not just this little word. Become familiar and know the whole narrative. Mm. The whole thing flows together. So they have this sour wine there. They put it on a hyssop branch. They hold it up to his mouth. It is finished after he receives the wine. He's going to say one more thing according to Luke, but it is finished. Really important words for us. Oh, I can't say what it is. Telestai. Telestai. Yeah, that's it. That's right. So it is finished, meaning when he descends into hell, which we're not going to talk about today, um, he's not going down there to suffer. He's done. Uh, I don't know. How do you how do you see it? I'm gonna go to Baker again. I'm interested. Yeah, salvation's been accomplished. Right. I mean, that's essentially what it is, that he's in his kingdom. I mean, you got I'm not drinking the wine again until I come into my kingdom. Uh, the question of, hey, when you come into your kingdom, can my kids be on your right and your left hand? Well, it is right now. It just happened. Right. And that's why I want to, I kind of wanted to bring this up. I was thinking not too long ago, uh, we sang the lamb at some point recently. I think it's 547. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't think this was the intent of the author, but it should be sung during Lent. Because when is Christ reigning on his throne? If you want to go this route with it, it's on right. the cross. Well, that's, that's the beginning of his exaltation, right, on the cross. He's exalted on the cross, it, which is always confusing for kids when you're teaching it to them. His humiliation, him being born man, and his exaltation is his being punished? Well, no, the exaltation is that he, yeah, he's, that he's reigning. That's what he came to do. Yeah. If I may, I'd like Please. to combine these two words, too, and part of the completion, it is finished. Um, more recently uh, for us, we... You know, a few weeks ago, prior in, in the middle of Lent, uh, we would have heard the woman at the well. Mm -hmm. And as she approaches, remember, she's uh, 
she's not a Jew. She's had several husbands, one who's not with her. And Jesus is the only other time where Jesus says these same words. I'm thirsty. I thirst. Yep. And part of, I think, of this, too, connecting those two thoughts, and then Jesus will bring this, and he, he has throughout his ministry, and he will especially after his resurrection, too. Not only is this finished, but this is a combination of things that this is for not just to the Jews, first to the Jews, but also now to the Gentiles, that this is really the promise given to Israel for the world complete that this whole thing is complete that the old testament is complete right here right now our last word as we're approaching the end of the program here um we're going to go to luke 23 and the words in 46 but i'm going to start with 44 now we've already heard this from uh matthew but it was a, now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So that's a sixth hour is like noon, right? So uh, six, seven, eight, nine, right? So we're like three or four o'clock in the afternoon. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So why have you abandoned me is followed by, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last, according to Luke. So we have Jesus' final words on the cross being uh, a word of trust, a word of rest, a word of, of um, you know, putting everything in the Father's hands. Uh, just final words on this as we end up our, end our program. Yeah, it's, it's really a dramatic way to go from the change that we got from the beginning to here, especially the, obviously the curtain being torn in half. Like this is... Obviously, creation's reacting to this happening. Mm. This isn't just some guy that the Romans thought they were shoving on a cross like they do every day in and out, but there's something about this. And his words are proven to be true by these, by their own words themselves and what happens. That, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's time for you to accomplish the thing that you set me here to do. We're ready. Yeah. What about you? I think this is such a great final words and probably... It's our final words as well, right? That everything rests now with the Father. That we have no control. We have no authority over all of this. We simply put ourselves at the mercy of God, the mercy of our Father. And I think back to every time I see Jesus addressing Father, I think back to something John Kleinig has in uh, Grace Upon Grace, I believe it is. And he talks about the Lord's Prayer. And some of the best words of the Lord's Prayer, it's that first one, Our Father. That as Jesus gives that prayer, he places himself alongside us as our brother, as our Lord. So that as we go, Father, who art in heaven. And here, too, that we pray this in our moment of death, and that we, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. You alone are Lord of life and death. You have provided for me, and I just rest in your loving hands. We began this program talking about how, you know, 
Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and that the people around them, including the centurions and the other people under him, are um, not really understanding what's going on. And what you both said is very true. Verses 47 and 48 is worth saying. After all this, it says, Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. There's this indication that people at the beginning knew not what they were doing, but by the end knew something had happened. And it was up to the disciples from this point on, and still us today, to proclaim to people exactly what that is. Um, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Christopher Amon, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Pipestone, Minnesota. Also, the Reverend Jesse Baker, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Hardwick, Minnesota. Thank you, pastors, for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Folks, when we return on Monday, which will be Easter Monday, we'll resume our study of Judges with Chapter 9. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.